I have a guest this morning that uh, I I actually got to know just because I would often follow him um, on Newsmax talking about border issues and crime issues. And uh, now in the Smith household, whenever we hear uh, this guy's voice come uh, come on the television, my husband and I stop and say, hey, Jason's on TV. And we both sit down and watch what he has to say. Uh, you're going to feel about him the same way that we do. This is a guy who really understands national security, our border issues, crime in this country, and so much more. Jason Jones, welcome to the program. Well, Betsy, thank you for the kind words, and it's good to be with you. So uh, you are, uh, right now, you are one of the leading experts when it comes to border issues uh, here in the United States, and again, and as we're talking, you're sitting about a hundred miles uh, from the uh, southern border in Texas, I believe. Jason, tell folks about your background and and how you came to have the incredible expertise and passion for the border. Sure, uh, right out of the academy with the state police in Texas, known as the Texas Department of Public Safety, they said, where would you like to go? And I said, well, I'm from Austin. I sure would like to stay. And they said, okay, El Paso, Texas, it is. And that would start a crazy career on the southern border, Betsy, that I never planned for. I was a Texas Highway Patrolman in El Paso for two years. I was an undercover narcotics agent uh, in Brownsville, Texas, as the Los Zetas came on board. That was an enforcement wing for the Gulf Cartel, which we had no idea about at the time. And then I would transfer around to some other places and then end up back in Laredo, Texas, as a lieutenant for the DPS Narcotics Service over two major drug squads as the war, as the cartels referred to it, between Cartel de Gato and the Los Zetas kicked off. And we were stunned at what we were seeing from there. Went back to headquarters in Austin, Texas. I was a captain in the newly created uh, Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division, which also encompassed uh, leading the State Intelligence Center. And then in the end of my career, about the last three years, I was asked by the Texas Ranger Chief to command the Texas Rangers Border Security Operations Center. I was not a Texas Ranger, but because of my contacts within the community, uh, the U.S. intelligence agencies, and because of programs we had been building, working with the Mexican government and collaborations and trying to save lives down there, they brought me in to manage their program. It was very humbling. Well, and I so appreciate that because we do, my husband and I do a lot of training in Texas. We have for decades. And I, I really think most people uh, who are not from that region really think Texas is, you know, just barbecue and cowboys and, and this and that. But in reality, Texas is really the epicenter, um, not only of the border crisis in this country, but um, frankly, of professional law enforcement in this country. And Texas does so much more when it comes to uh, drug, illegal drug uh, issues, border issues, and just crime issues in general than, than most people know, don't you think? I would agree with you on that. I really would. You know, Texas has, you know, a great history and we don't need permission from anybody to protect our citizens in our state. And we're not going to ask for it from anyone. And I believe that to the very core of who we are. And I think based on what we've been seeing take place, Betsy, we're going to see a lot of other states begin to step up as these failures that have been taking place and what's been allowed to happen continues to impact not only, you know, the southern part of our country, but now as we see it, every state in this incredible nation. 
Jason, I'm just going to ask you, is the southern border secure in this country? Absolutely not. And the data from the United States Customs and Border Protection proves that we have never been where we are. I mean, Betsy, by the end of this year, we're about to see three million encounters at your southern border, your coastal borders, and your northern border. For the viewers out there, they need to know we have never been where we are right now. And the other major tripwire to that is that it's not a U.S.-Mexico problem. I think most people still believe that today. You have to remember in the last 10 months alone, according to Border Patrol, they've apprehended people from 163 countries. As the war rages in Israel, how critical is border security in a country like the United States? Because I keep hearing people say, well, that's thousands of miles away. Israel and the Gaza Strip are thousands of miles away. That doesn't affect us here in the United States. Can you clarify that, please? Yeah, I want to be very clear that is not true at all. Um, when it comes to Hamas specifically and Hezbollah operatives, along with Quds Force operatives working for the Iranian government, I can give you an example going back to 2011, where a Quds Force operative contracted with what he believed was a, a Law Zetas operative, operative for the Law Zetas cartel and hired that individual to assassinate a Saudi ambassador in Washington, D.C. And as a direct result of great work by DEA strike force out of Houston, Texas, they stopped a terrorist attack in the United States. Now, that I can give you that is a hard example. And it was one of my analysts that was assigned to that strike force that identified that Cuds Force operative for the DEA agents. Great work. And I want to be very clear so all of your viewers understand, Hamas and Hezbollah are here. If you look at a uh, congressional report, it goes back, uh, from, they did a look from 1997 to 2020, there were 128 Hezbollah operatives apprehended by FBI. Uh, and this is all from 302s, which are the FBI case reports uh, in this country. So everyone needs to understand when you hear the Hamas leader say that there's going to be strikes, you know, and calling for a day of uh, attacks all over the world against you know their enemies. This is real. Post 9-11-01, uh, we, American law enforcement, as well as citizens of this nation, we got, we got uh, a real taste of what radical Islam is all about. And I don't even think newer law enforcement officers really understand the evil and the brutality and the different attitudes um, by jihadists who, like you said, are here in this country. Can you help people understand that? Well, I think it's well said. You know, look how long it's been since 9-11. Many of the soldiers in our own military today and many of the young law enforcement officers weren't even born, you know, that are now coming into law enforcement now uh, when 9-11 happened. So I couldn't agree with you more. This is why history repeats itself. But I will say this to you, and I truly mean it. I know these cartels and the networks and how they're operating all over the world. Remember, Sinaloa is in 54 countries. Cartel Jalisco, new generation, the most hyper-violent cartel in Mexico is in 48. These people are collaborating with dark networks all over the world, not only in our own country. And they've been contracting and working with U.S.-based street gangs, what we call tier one gangs, for many, many years. And so this is why I went public to warn the American people. We need new authorities to go after these cartels and the people with whom they're contracting and collaborating with. Because from their perspective, Betsy, they don't care if Hezbollah is going to come in tomorrow and wipe out a city. 
all they're going to do is look at them and charge them more money. I can tell you that from case after case that we work. And this is why I went public. So this threat is extremely, extremely real. And we should be hearing, this is part of the frustration I have. You know, we have 18,000 law enforcement agencies in our country. And we've got incredible leadership within those organizations. But we, one thing we learned very well after 9-11, very well after 9-11, and I give the NYPD all the credit here when they were led by Commissioner Ray Kelly, because we worked very closely with the NYPD until one of the best intelligence divisions, which today is a bureau and operates, by the way, globally. They were the best at this. Whenever they saw a terrorist attack anywhere in the world, Betsy, they came out publicly, they launched their Hercules teams, they went to the nation and they said, we see what's happening. We want you to know that we're hardening targets all over this uh, city and we warn of what's coming, and, but we are being prepared. Why are we not hearing that from the FBI director right now? Why are we not hearing that from the DHS secretary? And I say that to you because as somebody that worked counterintelligence investigations side by side with joint terrorism task forces, they fear us. And when we get out there and we start hardening targets and making it well known that if you have their harm, an American city, the full weight of the United States government is coming for you. And we are preparing right now. You see, that, that perception drives in them into other areas and can protect our citizens, yet we hear nothing. So for me, I'll have to tell you, as somebody that's been around a long time, I, I see the lack of leadership in certain levels, and I know the impacts that are coming. And I think that's why all Americans are so nervous right now with what we're seeing happening uh, to our, you know, fellow uh, partners in Israel right now. I want to talk about something you just mentioned, and and that is the Mexican cartels. 20 years ago or so, you know, we mostly talked about them in context of uh, just drugs. That's no longer the case, is it? Can Can you talk a little bit more, help people understand the control that the cartels have over the movement of people into this country? That's, that's well said, and hats off to you for that question, because if I hear the term drug cartels one more time, I just lose it. I really do, because it's something they do today. It's not what they are anymore. And, you know, I talked about that evolution from organized crime into insurgency, into terrorism, and into a parallel government, now, which they truly are in Mexico. I mean, I've got wars going on right now at our southern border with armored vehicles, first, second, third, and fourth generation armored vehicles. They leverage surface-to-air missiles. They leverage 50-caliber belt-fed machine guns. They leverage, you know, uh, RPGs, light anti-tank weapons. And they are trained in basic, intermediate, and advanced training for their enforcement. In the old days, uh, when you talk to the old operatives, cartel, just so your, your audience understands, that means agreement. Today, it's been bastardized, but it means agreement. And it's if you look at some of the largest cartels in Mexico, they... Those that are able to collaborate very well with other dark networks rise to the top because you've always been told, for example, that the Sinaloa cartel was run by Chapo Guzman. Well, no, that was he, he ran his cell. You also had El Mayo, you had Rafael Caro Quintero, you had many others over, over the decades. And so these dark networks are collaborating with as many as they can. And when I hear on national television, it still drives me crazy, this 1980 DEA model of well, they, they battle for control of drug trafficking routes. No, they did that in 1980. In 2023, they are battling for full control. And let me give you an example of that because I'm a big believer that I've got to validate what I say. 
if you look at the last national election, the CNN actually did one of the finest uh, reporting on this. There was 132 murders of political leaders and staffers running for office in Mexico during one national election, during the last national election. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, journalists in Mexico are being brutally killed down there if they report what's really happening. And so the American people aren't being told, then overlay that with the lack of our media's understanding of how strong they have become. And that's what's gotten us where we are. But I will tell you this, uh, our government will have to take extreme action about and to go after them, Betsy, because they won't stop. They can't stop. And this is the story that's not told. And what I mean by that is they don't fear us. They don't fear the Mexican government. What they feel are, are their rivals. They're, they're constantly in battle because they fear that their rivals could overtake them and they can lose control. They could lose territory, which would lose income and ultimately endanger them, their families and their lives. So that's why you're always seeing this jockeying of fentanyl, then parafentanyl, then serafentanyl, now mixing it with xylazine because they're competing all the time. And it's the same thing with the armored vehicles, for example, or a new capability that they obtain. You know, the first car bomb in, in Juarez that kicked off in 2010, I knew that was a major tripwire. I was, I was leading the state intelligence center at the time. And because I had worked the cartels for, for, for many, many years prior to that, I said, get ready. We're fixing to see other cartels acquire this same uh, uh, level of technology. And by the end of the year, four other cartels had that uh, level of, of capability, who, by the way, were working with the FARC for the tripwire device that kicked it off. So that's where they are today. That's what's been happening. And um, unfortunately for me, I, if you would have told me seven years later after coming out publicly, that our country would be where we are and that Americans still would not be briefed as to what has been taking place and how it's impacting them. I, I still want to tell you, I, I still can't believe it. What are you seeing as far as attitudes and morale of our border patrol agents? I have never seen a law enforcement organization have officers so demoralized ever in my career. And I, I and that's someone who understand I'm on that border usually every other week or every third week of the month. And I'm down there and I'm talking to them, I'm visiting with them and how they're doing and how they're hanging in there. You know, things have become so bad they can't fill academies at all, which many law enforcement agencies are dealing with that problem right now. But Border Patrol specifically, they're even trying to hire back law enforcement Border Patrol agents who retired and giving them incentives to come back because they can't they they can't hire anyone. The other part of this is that their job has been gone from a uh, national security model into a humanitarian model. And I truly mean that. I mean, their whole focus from their leadership to the ground agents is do one thing, and that's process and process people faster into this country. And to those who have been with the organization for many years, they can't wrap their mind around that. Their frustration is incredible. And so, you know, to all of them out there that are watching right now and their families, I want them to know that we have been doing everything we can to get out what they are going through and what their families are going through. And I've been doing that publicly for many, many years, you know, releasing a lot of law enforcement sensitive information, also videos of what these agents are going through. If we do have a change of administration or uh, this administration has a change of heart when it comes to border security, is it possible to engage in the mass deportations that we're obviously going to have to engage in to secure this nation? 
Of course. Absolutely. And it's going to occur if we get the right president in there. But it will take Americans really getting behind this and understanding the threats that we now face. You know, it was two days ago from today that we finally were able to get the leaked information from U.S. Customs and Border Protection that 72,800 plus people from countries with a terrorism nexus known as special interest alien countries have crossed your southern border in the last two years alone. Two years. Now, let me put that in perspective. Those are just the ones we know of. Never mind the ones we don't know of. In the proper vetting, listen, these people are not being vetted. So, Betsy, we have real domestic issues now. To, to halt the border problem, that's an easy one. To stop the, the immigration coming in, mass migration that we're dealing with, that is easy. That, that, believe it or not, of all the issues that we're going to deal with, that's the simplest. The biggest challenge is what you just mentioned, that is the mass deportation of millions of people who are here illegally in this country and where to start. Because you got to remember, FBI has about 27,000 agents. ICE, maybe what, 3,500? ATF, I think about 1,500 to 2,000. So we've got some real number issues to work on domestically and to get, we're going to, it's going to require a, you know, you hear this term, a holistic government approach of local, state, and federal. I truly believe that. And we're going to have to get real tough, real fast. And what we see happening overseas you know, I'm praying right now it doesn't hit us here, but we've got to get these these bad actors out of this country. Can you reiterate to people that it's not because I, I talk to a lot of people who say these are just people coming to have a better life and and because they don't have a good life or good job prospects or whatnot in their country. And of course, there are some people um, who that is why they're coming, but that's no longer the majority. Can you explain that to people? Sure. Most of the people that we interview down there that are crossing are economic migrants. They're coming because this administration is creating exemptions that are allowing them from their country of origin to come, period. And let me give you a great example of that. In July, Secretary Mayorkas signed exemptions allowing Hondurans to come into the country. Well, guess what happened, Betsy? They came flowing into the nation. Now, where the problem comes is when it's a U.S.-Mexico, U.S.-Central America issue. That's, you know, the, the, the part of that that you really worry about there are, you, are uh, gangs like MS-13, things like that, right? Because for the most part, they are economic migrants. Now, let me say, where are we today? Well, in the last 10 months, we know we've got people from 163 countries from around the world, and that 72 thousand of them just in the last two years alone are coming from countries with a terrorism nexus. Never mind the 1.7 to 8 million known gotaways and the ones we have no idea about that have been flowing into that border because right now your border patrol agents are pulled off the line. So how they vet people that they even do encounter like the 72,000 would stun the average American. Let me ask you, here's what you haven't been told. What database do you check for Somalis that cross the border? There isn't one. What database for Uzbekistanis, Tajikistan, and all the Istan countries that don't have any data sets to even run from? So you're just given a name like John Doe. Literally, some agents are being given a name. My name's John Doe. And that, that is who they become officially. It is absurd what has happened. We've got 30-year-old men plus claiming they're unaccompanied alien children. Agents can't say or do anything about it because they can't validate, they've got no documents on them. So now they're considered an unaccompanied alien child. Can you believe that? This is what we've done under this administration. 
So when I tell you that, you know, what we're looking at, look, my, I, my fear has been for the last two and a half years that what was going to happen in the Middle East would, would now come here. And I tried to do everything I can to warn it. We are now in a whole new paradigm and we have to look at that. The border issue has been so wide open for so long that now the problem set is here. And everything local, state and federal law enforcement should be doing is about one thing. And that's keeping us left of bang which means keeping Americans safe, making sure that's left of bang is a, is, a, is a term used before a shot is fired, before a bomb goes off. All focus should be on protecting the American people. And that's why I'm very frustrated right now with the Homeland Security Prize Enterprise leadership as to why they're not coming out and being very forceful as to what they're going to do if a terrorist attack occurs to try to set a level of deterrence because we know it works under what the great work of NYPD and many other leaders in the past did after 9-11. Jason, you have clarified so many things for our audience and we're so grateful. Where can people follow you? Where can they find you? Sure, thank you. Betsy, it was great to be with you. You can find me at jasonjones.com. That's J-A-E-S-O-N jones.com. I just want to say last one last thing here because I always like to leave on a positive. I want you to know that this is absolutely fixable. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not. And for those mothers and fathers who are hurting out there, who've lost your children to fentanyl, to these cartels and what they've done to so many families in our country, I want you to know we're coming. We're going to get the FTO designation and there's going to be nowhere on planet Earth where they can hide because the world's best of the best are coming for them for what they've done to so many Americans, so many Mexican families and so many families around this country. Betsy, thank you for having me. It was great to be with you today. So well said, Jason. Thank you so very much. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain